0: To Pat produces Customer Experience Podcast. Delivering great customer experience every time is really, really hard. If it was easy, more companies would be doing it. We all know that ain't happening. That's exactly where this show comes in. Every episode we take a close look at companies who are getting customer experience right. Whether it's over the phone, over technology such as social media or apps on your smartphone, or in person there are some companies who are just really good at this. This show looks at what they're doing differently to make their customers love them and introduces us to the people whose job it is to make great customer experience happen. So if delivering exceptional customer experience is part of your business, this is the podcast for you. I'm Pat Verdun. I'm glad you found us. Hey, welcome back. We've got another great show for you lined up. So thank you for downloading and listening. What happens when a data whiz teams up with a policy and communications guru? Well, turns out it's a very happy marriage, both literally and figuratively in a customer experience and business sense. My guest today, Gary Edwards, is one half of Gulfdale Consulting. Here's why I wanted you to meet Gulfdale and Gary. I wanted to introduce Data into our customer experience conversation. No, not the character from Star Trek, although with the next generation reboot in the works. mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, what I mean is the role our data can play in helping us deliver an improved customer experience and how not using data-driven insights can cause companies to adopt customer experience initiatives that actually detract from the customer experience. Here's an example. You're standing in line at your favorite coffee shop. Let's say it's Dunkin' Donuts, or for us Canadians, that'd be Tim Hortons. The line is 10 people deep, but you don't mind because it moves quickly. You order the coffee you want, they hand it to you, and you're out of there. Boom. But what if we change the equation? What if we add a couple of steps to the process by having the person behind the counter spend more time with you? Ask, how's your day going today? Ask if there's anything else they can do for you while you're here. Maybe get you a muffin. Ask if you've been pleased with the service you've received today. Keep in mind there are 12 people behind you all staring a hole in the back of your head and really all you want to do is hop back into your car and get to the office before the traffic gets really nuts. Okay, back to our example. How do you feel about those three extra questions? Did they make you feel better about that coffee place? Chances are they probably annoy you a little bit. So this is the kind of customer experience error many companies make because someone thinks adding these steps will always be appreciated when the data would show that the opposite is the case. Here's where Gary Edwards comes in. Gary takes a close look at customer experience from a data perspective and often discovers how actually doing less can have us doing a better job at customer experience. We're going to get into that in some detail. Also, as I mentioned, Gary is one half of the pretty neat consulting firm, Golfdale Consulting. The other half is his partner, both in business and in life, Hyundai Bilhan. Golfdale combines customer experience, data, and very savvy messaging and public policy influence. So when organizations want to get a sense of the impact government regulations can have on their customers' customer experience, they call Golfdale. This is a pretty neat perspective on customer experience that we don't often get to see and quite frankly, often gets forgotten among all the other customer experience stuff going on out there. You'll find Gary's insights really interesting. So, okay, enough Pat-splaining on my show. <laughs> Here's Gary Edwards from Gulfdale with an explanation of what Gulfdale Consulting is all about.
1: Gulf Dell Consulting, my partner, Honda, and I help companies with their analytic strategy, their positioning, telling the narrative around that, and their public advocacy uh, of their business.
0: Share with me the intersection of how both of you bring your unique professional backgrounds and skill sets to an engagement.
1: Sure. So, you know, my own background is so heavily steeped in terms of research and insights. And then Hyundai's is is around uh,
0: communication and public affairs. Some specifics about Hyundai Bilhan. Prior to teaming up with Gary at Golfdale, she's had an extensive career in bridging the gap between the public and private sectors and influencing policy. Her CV includes roles like SVP of Primerica Financial, as well as Senior Policy Advisor to the Minister of Finance for the Province of Ontario here in Canada, and also Senior Policy Advisor to the Premier of Ontario at the time. Hyundai knows how policy is set and has spent much of her career helping companies and policymakers become aware of the consequences policy can have on consumers. In other words, Hyundai cuts through the red tape. Here's Gary. Regulations, for
1: example, always are out of date. And people talk of the public interest, but when you get inside it, um, inside what that means, uh, oftentimes it's around navigating uh, a complex world of regulation versus what we're trying to deliver to the customer. And she's very much had a passion over the years of what is it we're trying to deliver uh, to the customer? And who, are, who do we have to be careful we don't leave behind as, as You know, regulations, just the regulator's job is easy. They just keep adding regulations and they kind of got their butts covered. But, you know, peeling that back and saying, what's in the interest of the actual customer? Not just my client, but the actual customer uh, creates a a very interesting intersection with my background, which is, you know, what does the data say? And analytically, what is it that we can demonstrate with proof would better serve that customer and the business interests of our client. So we're always looking for that win-win. We bring two very different uh, fields of endeavor to a real passion that we have for advancing our client's interests alongside the public interest and making sure in the center of that, we've got some very happy customers.
0: The notion that regulations would cause a cohort Of customers to be left behind inadvertently or being or be underserved is that a correct assumption or a correct sort of definition of a problem that an organization might have that hyundai could help with and that you guys could help with
1: absolutely just to nerd out you know kind of notion of a type one type two error uh, you know the, the the notion that you know you can add regulation and say okay we'll never have this we'll never have this situation where somebody sold something that they don't need but as you do that, you just layer in more and more regulation. What the regulator is not looking at is, okay, so how many people are you leaving behind? Because now that it's so thick with regulatory fiat that only the wealthy can afford to navigate this and afford someone who there's a business interest on the other side that would, would want to incur the cost to actually service this kind of clientele. So we see it all the time in financial services that, you know, the wealthy are well taken care of. Uh, The wealthy are well taken care of in terms of any kind of financial service or product, and, uh, and they're protected. But as we continue to protect them, we can leave behind the little person who's you know, got a small need that they have for an important need for their life insurance, or they want to invest in mutual funds, or they want to, you know, they want to build up their bank balances and not get crushed by a credit card company. Those uh, interests are ones that we're very passionate about that the regulator, in our view, ignores as they only focus on, okay, but nobody's going to be sold something they don't need. They don't pay attention to, as you built out all these regulations, there's people who aren't getting service now. So, the public interest in our view is always, well, how can you make sure that everyone has access to these services?
0: And it's also a massive business interest because if there's a huge potential market that's being left behind, this is an underserved marketplace that could potentially be very profitable. Uh,
1: Absolutely. So, you know, banking is focused on the underserved, uh, insurance has. and, And the unfortunate reality is when we talk about the underserved, we're not just talking about, you know, homeless people here. We're talking about people who are struggling to uh, be able to buy their first home. We're talking about people who are new into the workplace. We're talking about lower to middle income people um, who can get left behind where they have, you know, this crappy kind of services that are offered to them because uh, the wealthy have these extraordinary services that um, only a company that services the wealthy could actually manage to wade through all the regulations uh, to be able to, should provide that to them.
0: I think coming in with a data perspective as well. It sounds like you can help organizations uncover the business case, not just the well, it's what we should do, but the actual business case in terms of profitability and all this other stuff that um, that can be realized if we properly serve this group that we might be leaving behind. Absolutely. We're not just there to uh, uh, provide uh, evidence of a moral imperative. We're
1: there to provide evidence of a business imperative and that there's opportunity here that's being missed. And, but you need strong research, you need strong advocacy, and you need to build a narrative um, for all your stakeholders so that everyone understands what it is you're trying to achieve uh, in order to achieve it.
0: Putting you on the spot, can you give me an example of, of a before and after picture? where an organization was inadvertently leaving a group behind or, you know, consciously knowing that they're underserving a particular group, thinking that was their only option. And after having looked a little bit more closely at the data, they were able to take a different direction.
1: Well, absolutely. When I look at Hyundai's career, I'd have to say, um, again, we won't name names, but, you know, take the insurance industry, offering whole life and, and term insurance and and in guarding in the, it's supposedly in the public interest. The regulator's approach was to say, OK, so we only can have full time advisors and then the full time advisor has to have these degree qualifications. And they have to go through all of these additional hoops. um, As if, you know, you're selling this individual who needs life insurance, a full set of uh, financial service products, as if they were, you know, you were doing estate planning for God's sake. So if you're doing estate planning for a multimillionaire, all of that makes sense. If you're trying to help somebody not fall into poverty, should tragedy strike their family and they need a $100,000 term life insurance plan, it probably can be sold by somebody who's part-time, whose interest is in getting them the hundred or $150,000 policy um, that they can afford. The regulatory requirements around how much education and training you need to do that is, uh, as it should be, should be very different. Um, and so, Hyundai's been very successful lobbying government to have an expanded view of what the public interest is, which is how would you public um, uh, servant who's in charge of some sort of regulation, how would you service this customer and not leave them behind? And if your answer is, well, I would ensure we had all these additional education and full-time requirements and, uh, and, 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 the reality is that business model would never survive. If I was an insurance salesperson, for God's sakes, I would seek out billionaires. Why would I seek out someone who's, you know, I'm gonna get a $5 residual on their policy.
0: Thinking of the customer experience for young people looking for financial guidance and assistance, that's often their experience where it's really difficult for that particular group of people relatively new into the workforce to get good long-term advice on how to manage their money because so much of that industry is focused on the wealthy. It is and I think
1: beyond that you know where our our view very strongly is this should be financial literacy should be built more into the schools more into everyone's day-to-day life and, and regulations should reflect sort of a tiered system of so who is being serviced here and what's realistic for that Uh, set of individuals or that cohort to be properly serviced. What business models could attend to that that makes it a win-win for both? Because if it's not a win-win, the business won't exist. If the regulators don't look at how everyone can be served
0: adequately... Tying this back to customer experience, I find the notion of regulation and how that impacts organizations' ability to deliver an appropriate customer experience to all of their customers really interesting and often overlooked in the conversation of customer experience.
1: Absolutely. A lot of decisions that I think regulators make uh, have unintentional consequences, but they're not should not be unanticipated ones. So I get that they're trying to protect someone. And so that's the unintended consequence that If you create too many barriers, there's no business interest in someone servicing them and someone who has lesser means won't have access to it. I know that's not their intent. And so that's uh, unintended, but it should not be unanticipated. You know this is going to happen. And so I think what we have to do is constantly be bringing back to the public interest is this notion of, no, if, if you're going to regulate, then your actual obligation is to show the impact a broader view of how this is going to impact uh, those who may not be able to access these services. And right now I don't believe I don't believe such a it's such a simple but profound notion. I don't believe it exists in the public sphere. I don't think that conversation happens.
0: And I'm thinking of our listeners who would like to participate in that conversation. They know that there's a huge cohort of potential customers that they can't afford to provide good service to because of the amount of regulation that is within their particular industry. What's a step that they could take? Would reaching out to Hyundai be the conversation? Would reaching out to my government representative be the conversation? What's a good realistic step that we could take?
1: I think it's wise for someone to call an expert Uh, In this case, Hyundai would be an excellent one. There are obviously others as well who are well-practiced in this domain. The fact is anyone can call up their local government official and should be able to get a meeting and advocate for their own position. and while well, technically, that's correct. Obviously, having someone who has these relationships, uh, knows how to navigate, knows how to position things for both the regulator and for the politician uh, and for the bureaucrats that are assigned to the task of carrying these, um, these policies out, someone who knows how to navigate that world is obviously going to be beneficial. Just as, of course, on my side, you can look at your own data, but having somebody who spent 25 to 30 years doing it It may be helpful to your cause.
0: Here's what I'd like you to consider from that part of the conversation. What policies might be in place at our organizations that have the unintended consequence of reducing customer satisfaction for some customer segments because we get so focused on how the latest innovation will help another different customer segment? This brings us to, let's say, Act 2 of our program. Gary is a data scientist at heart. In fact, he has a doctorate degree in social work, specializing in research methods and statistics. He's also the former country manager and SVP of Gallup Canada, the data people here in Canada, and was part of a company called Empathica, which, if you haven't noticed, has the word empathy in its name. So Gary knows data and has a keen sense of how that ties into understanding people's motivations. We start with having some fun with his PhD, (laughs) and then we go into the distinction between great service and what Gary defines as hospitality or unanticipated needs. If you recall from our last episode with Stephen Hahn Griffiths, the ability to deliver on unanticipated needs is a distinguishing characteristic of companies that deliver excellence in customer experience. Here's act two of my conversation with Gary Edwards. So you're Dr. Gary. Uh, Dr. G as my uh, clients and (laughs) and I make a few
1: friends call me that too.
0: (laughs) You will call me Dr. G. Call me Dr. G. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? The PhD focusing on stats. It's pretty easy for me to kill a cocktail party. So I've got (laughs) to, I got to ramp it up a little. (laughs) Make it fun.
0: Nice. And I love that you started your career in a field that by its very nature requires empathy. And then the trajectory of your career has been defined by empathy, you know, from your days at Gallup, then Empathica, which has empathy in the name. And now you're helping companies do a better job understanding their companies at Gulfdale. So pretty much everything you're doing and have done, including the pursuit of your PhD, has involved or required empathy.
1: Oh, thank you, Pat. Yeah, I mean, even in the early days of studying, you know we were studying uh, kind of mental health and uh, how newcomers to uh, to Canada. We're getting along, and you know what you read in the press and what you'd hear in co- casual conversation, often by very intelligent people. And then what you'd see in the data were two disparate things; <laughs> the two were completely opposite. And from that moment on, I just it, it just engendered this sort of curiosity around. Okay, so how we talk about the world and what we think is happening can be very different from from the reality of it. And so the short story there being, you know, people are coming in from some very adverse circumstances. We are studying uh, refugee. Um, populations, But the fact is, despite what we were reading in the press, much of it negative, people were amazingly resilient and adaptive. And I loved reading and seeing the actual data saying, well, people who've got to easy suffer all these problems. People who've had a really hard time, because it's this very restricted cohort that gets in are actually incredibly resilient uh, kind of strengths-based people who are getting along actually very well just purely in terms of their mental health. And I found that, you know, from day one of my research career, I found that fascinating. So I've always looked for what's that thing that we think is happening, but something maybe different is that that, than we imagine is is the reality.
0: And I find the notion of the reality um, or what we hear or what we suspect based on perhaps observations or what we see or what we hear being different from the actual data when we come to study it i find that discrepancy really interesting and i'm hoping we can dig into that a little bit in our conversation today so you and i spoke earlier had a great conversation and i was really intrigued in that conversation by your distinction between service and hospitality. Why don't we start our conversation there with talking about um, how those two things are different? And if you're a company focusing on giving great service, you may be missing the point a little bit. The distinction we draw, and that I've always drawn, is you know services and North America. I have to credit uh, our
1: friends to the south in, in, in the U.S. Really, just um, it, and it's replicated here in Canada. Uh, just an amazing ability to engineer service. Uh, Hyundai and I host a lot of um, events and and dinners, et cetera. But just just think of the notion that you're going to invite somebody in your home and say, okay, so here's a 30-page menu. Order anything you want in 30 minutes. I'll get it to you. And I'll do it with a smile and, uh, and, and do it in a very happy way. That's incredible engineering service. And it is about getting people exactly what they want. You've offered something, and you're going to get it uh, the way they want it. Uh, when they want it. So that's perfect service. And uh, I think many of us take it for granted. So I don't want to belittle service. I think it's an amazing engineering feat, but it is distinct from, in my view, hospitality. In what way? And so hospitality is when we bring someone um, into a deeper level in terms of connection and we deliver on some of their unanticipated needs. When they sort of surrender themselves to an experience and say, okay, now I'm open to what it is you have to offer. And then we delight them in that. So again, coming back to uh, maybe not even the restaurant industry, take of when you've hosted dinner for someone. I mean, it would be odd for someone to come in and say, park themselves and although this may occasionally happen, and say, okay, here's my list. Here's what I'd like you to deliver for me tonight. You know, we don't do that. I need to get <laughs> me a cocktail. In about 20 minutes, I'm going to need a meal. And uh, and please, you get me
0: some snacks while I wait. That would be the, 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 the. What a jerk. Uh, that would be the worst guest in the world. <laughs> I'd love to try it just as a guest. <laughs> I heard, the, I heard you
1: guys are great at service. So here's what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, and then put, put someone who's completely unfamiliar with our home at the front door, just because that's an easy job and have them just, you know, get. we'll, we'll, we'll tell you where you can sit. Um, So that's service. You know, a lot of times that's what we're after. So I don't want to belittle it. But hospitality is something completely different. You put somebody who owns the establishment at the front and you would enter into an experience. And and you know what? When you have hospitality, sometimes you surrender some of those service aspects because it's actually incredibly difficult to do both. But somebody surrenders themselves to that experience and they're in and they're being
0: hosted. And and there's some things
1: that you get from that.
0: And you mentioned a phrase, unanticipated service. How might a company or how might an organization gain an understanding of how they can provide this thing that's unanticipated yet will likely delight their customers? Yeah, So
1: I like to do this in business in particular. It's just related in a very personal way to other circumstances. Then And then the client quickly starts to connect the dots. So let's think outside of um kind of serving someone food and think of uh, somebody's come to uh, yours in my hometown here, Toronto, for the first time. We kind of know them, but our job is to to make sure uh, that they have a good time here in Toronto. So we pick them up at the airport. Here's good service. We show up on time at the airport. It's easy to find us. We have a sign that says, hey, uh, come get my car. They sit in the car, and then we say, okay, tell me what you want to do. I'm here ready to do whatever you want. That would be – I mean – it would be a very unusual experience. it would be like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know your city. Right, <laughs> right. Think about, think about, <laughs> break it when you break it down, here's what you would do. Uh, and you wouldn't even have to think about it, but if we wrote down what you'd actually do, it would be interesting. You'd say, okay, hey, I'm so glad to see you. Now, here's, here's a few things. Here's something that Toronto was famous for. So I don't know if you want to do it, but this is what we're kind of famous for. Uh, here's what other people like to do uh, when they're in the city. Uh, and if you tell me a little bit about yourself, I can, I can steer you towards things that other people with similar tastes like to do. Now, the very funny thing about human nature is, uh, and, and personality is it takes very, if we start there, it takes very little before we have a tiny little connection here f- from which we can pull on and then say, ah, you know what, um, here's what I like to do. Now, you wouldn't leave with that because it's presumptive and you don't know the person. But, you know, here's what here's what, just getting to know you a little bit, here's something that I really enjoy that I think you might enjoy. And so, you know, if we take these three or four connection points uh, around hospitality, you can apply them to all kinds of businesses, which is the, when somebody shows up, you're not just going to say, okay, now what do you want to do? I'm going to do it for you quickly. You're going to know what you're good at. You're going to know what others like to do. You're going to give a little bit of your person uh, to it. Uh, having just got to know the person for a few nanoseconds, and inside that, you're going to be able to create create a connection and host them in your business
0: you know i think we ask for that or crave that as customers anyway like i'm thinking of your scenario where i'm picked up at the airport i get in the car and the person would say okay so what would you like to do i'm here to take you anywhere you'd want to go my first question would be oh okay well what's popular yeah. And my next question would be, is there something that you personally would recommend? If you could recommend something that you like the best about the city, what would it be? And we also, also, I think, do that at restaurants where we'll sit with the server and the server might say, well, we have this special and we have that special. And the first question I might say is, okay, well, what's the most popular dish here? What are you guys totally known for? So what you're saying is spot on the money, because even if the service is great, we, through our questions as customers... Ask for hospitality.
1: We do, and I, I think Pat, the I think we're we're highly um, attuned. Uh, human beings are highly attuned to authenticity, and so the thing we're in that moment, if we're the one being serviced or hosted, uh, that we're highly uh, attuned to, is some degree of authenticity around. You're trying to figure out what would be best for me. You're not just hawking because <laughs> you, but you know somebody is given going to give you a commission off if you take them to this uh, place, or uh, you got too much of this in your warehouse. So you're, you know, those are fine if you're straightforward about it. Just say, look, uh, here's our situation, and you could get a good deal on the following. Uh, those are fine because they're presented in in such a such a way. But we can't. We're not trying to trick somebody here, and I think people are highly attuned to that authenticity. We're actually trying to listen, and then. Anticipate. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna make a first best guess at something you might like, which might not be the same. Which is not necessarily the same list as you know. My God, here's what the managers told me. I have to put in front of you. But, you know, I you the special of the day if you're interested. But really. Uh, I, you know, just with a few seconds, I'd love to get to know if you're hungry today or if you're you now are si- sweet or savory tooth, you know, and I can kind of point you to something you might like, uh, whether it's a restaurant or other things. When you look at banking, even, you know, a lot of banks, of course, with all of the online services now, they want you to come in and you're in a more of a business uh, sort of center, even if you're using it just for your consumer banking. And again, I think it creates a different, um, it creates a new challenge, which is, well, how do you host somebody in that environment where you want to be their advisor versus just their, their transactor? And it, it means you have to rethink the environment, rethink who's, who's greeting you, how, how, how you're treated, the kind of questions you ask, and, and how, you, how you organize that that very human sort of environment.
0: How might we rethink that environment? Can you provide an example of, An environment that comes to mind where it is transactional. And if they make one or two slight tweaks, they can move from that transactional to something that's actually more hospitality oriented. Yeah.
1: If if I could, if I could play a little mischief with you, Pat, I'd love. Do the opposite first, and the reason I want to do the opposite first, which is people who try and host when they should be servicing, is because I, I'm, uh, I think there's a little um, stain on consulting, if you will, which is, you know, the idea is being that all the ideas that come from consultants are, yeah, great. You've got new ideas of how I could spend more money and do more things to delight my customer. I get it. I've got my own list, but here's, you know, we live under these very constrained circumstances. And by the way, and now I'm just rifting a little you know, you go to uh, you go to any conference and again, most of the examples, and my God, I love, like who wouldn't love, you know, the Ritz Carlton or, you know, if it was Nordstroms or whatever, but like these companies work with huge margins, right? If you if you really want to see hospitality, go buy a Rolls Royce. <laughs> I mean, they'll buy it to wherever you want. They'll pick it up to fix it. Like, those aren't very helpful to most business proprietors. So I'd like to give an opposite example, and we'll come back and answer your question. Sure. Here's an example, which is a, a company that was providing, a, won't, uh, I'll go unnamed, coffee and donuts, and they uh, had this great notion from the executives that we need to start thanking people for the business, a very small step towards kind of hospitality. And while we're tracking the numbers, customer set, we found that it had an opposite And absolutely perfect inverse correlation. The more they did this, thanking people for the business, (laughs) the worst satisfaction scores got. So trust me as the, uh, you know, uh, give me whatever uh, laudatory title you want. At my heart, I'm an analyst and I'm the one standing with a bullseye on me trying to explain to executives, well, so the good news is you're doing a lot of it. The worst news or the bad news is the more you do it, the worse things become.
0: Gary, what might've been the genesis of that company creating this new initiative, thinking it's going to have this great effect on their customer experience. Of course, it had the opposite intended effect. Probably not unique when when an executive or somebody says, oh, we should all do this. And it becomes the flavor of the month, perhaps not backed up by data. What do you see as the genesis of that kind of initiative that happens without actually maybe testing it or Doing some research in, in advance. The dirty word I hear all the time is
1: two words, is best practices.
0: And and only because, not because it, obviously it's a great
1: thing, but the bad part is it, it can be a mask for, uh, look, we're going to do what everyone else has done and we're going to either get on the bandwagon or, my God, everyone else has done it. It must be right, so we'll do it too. Or, you know, or the third thing is just, again, I went to a conference and somebody gave this great example, but of a completely different business model, you know, based on a completely different business model. And they think, well, we can't do that, but we could do this small other thing that looks a little bit like it. So there's, uh, you know, inside best practices, um, we always have to be uh, aware and cautious of mimicry. So we go back and look and here's what's happening, because I actually just, we I interrogated the data and then I just, I, you know, sometimes we forget to do the obvious. I sat, I sat in one of the restaurants and I watched. Very popular restaurant, by the way. Sometimes there's 10 people deep, waiting for their morning coffee. So here's my here is my instant and obvious ob- observation. Uh, well, before you get your coffee in the morning, you're grumpy. And you know that. That's why you're in business. And second, the person who's serving it is anything but a proprietor. And I, we watched and then studied. We asked some other questions around what might make the customer satisfied and what might not. And so the opposite story is, in this case, for the person not to speak at all. Smile, make eye contact, get them what they want. Appear to be in a hustle. So keep the smile on your face. The only thing you're going to talk about is order accuracy. Repeat back to somebody what they asked for, and then show them what they've got, because uh, that's a big problem if it doesn't happen. And beyond that, zero talk. An actual perfect interaction was a pure service model. Uh, no hospitality, and then customer satisfaction went through the roof. So I just gave you an opposite story, which is, look, it's not necessarily the
0: goal. That almost sounds like somebody went to a conference, heard a presentation by Ritz Carlton or Rolls Royce, and said, we need that in our coffee shop. And the desired experience from one customer group compared to the other customer group was entirely different. So here's the fun
1: I always have. I love to do this, which is, let's see the list of things you're doing. And through research, we could try and start pulling some of these out And seeing the opposite, whether or not it has any impact. So, all these costs and all these operational things you've kind of built up and you do it sort of like, you know, on the, on the IT side, people talk about technical debt. On the op side, I don't think there's a term for it, but it's operational debt. It's like, well, who, who decided that this one thing you do is important? And maybe it was important then. Are you sure it's important now? So you can start plucking this away. And if you want to make yourself uh, very popular to a very wary operator who's looking at the research guy saying, oh, my God, well, what are you here for? And what am I going to learn from you? Well, right away, there might be five things you're doing you don't need to do. And I could prove it with data.
0: I can almost hear our listeners right now going through the lists of things that they might be able to prune from their experience to ultimately make that experience a better one. But what's a process? How might I start in developing an understanding of what are these things that I'm having my operators do that really are net detractors from the customer experience? I do think you need an objective uh, third set of eyes. And you need it for two reasons.
1: One is just like in it's like Bobby might go to personal counselling, you know, somebody's objective doesn't have an agenda other than to make you better and and they can listen and, and they've seen it in dozens or, you know, often hundreds of environments. So there is something helpful to going to somebody third party and having them take a look at it. Someone can be, you know, uh, reinforcing. Yeah, no, it makes good sense that you do that. Um, and it's not just you're getting their opinion, but the, well. With you know, using the response, their, their trade responsibly, gathering data, making sure that they have evidence in support of it. The other thing is where, where somebody sees uh, opportunity to make some of these adjustments uh, and release uh, operations for some of the obligations they have that might not be servicing anybody, the customer <laughs> or others, uh, it's often helpful to have uh, that other voice at the table that says, look, I'm not, I'm not being lazy here. I'm not just trying to cut things out for its own sake. Here's some independent evidence. And uh, and so having a third party, oftentimes, uh, I'm very candid with clients. There are some things that if I say it, it has more gravitas than if you say it. Uh, but I'm only going to say it, and I only have the right to say it. I only earn the right to an opinion if I looked that data.
0: Do you ever find within the data and within your research that there is probably at first glance, there's something that you're going to focus on? Yet within the data you find that that perhaps is a red herring or is a symptom of something else that you need to address? Yes. And I think
1: the, um, you know, part of it's just having a more, uh, how shall I say, expansive um, statistical vocabulary. We always like to talk about drivers. And so the driver is, you know, it's loosely associating uh, for a layperson's term, what you might come up with a regression analysis. You know, here's a list of variables. We rack and stack them. We look at their impact on an outcome when we can say, ah, these things are the key drivers. So that's common and often used in business. But what you're describing is something different, and that is more what are indicators. And the indicators tells you something's wrong, but but what's different is it's not the thing you fix. So the indicator is so important because it tells us something's going. It's when the squirrel runs out of the forest and you say, huh, and then later you learn it's on fire. We're looking for indicators sometimes, and we can't confuse those with the drivers of it. We're just saying, yeah, something's amiss here. I've got an interesting example from the banking world. So we were asking, um, uh, you know, a whole list of questions around uh, uh, customer sat uh, and um, we asked this question. The client was kind of resistant, but you know, uh, uh, the, the, we asked a couple of different ways, but essentially, it boiled, boiled down to, you know, what seemed to really be having fun in this environment seem really engaged. It wasn't really about how they treated you. It's just your observation as a customer that, ah, when you walk in, you you look around and say, these people seem to be enjoying themselves. They seem to be really engaged. Well, we found, and we heat mapped that, it was such a solid uh, prescriptive indicator of which branches were in trouble and which ones weren't. The danger in communicating those results was, The answer to it wasn't to go in and throw staff parties and make people happy. It was an indication that the customer knew something was awry, and the customer was not able to articulate what exactly was wrong, but something was amiss. And so, again, we're all attuned to authenticity. You can turn to customers sometimes to figure that out. The actual solve was something very different, which is... They didn't need more staff parties. They had some other systemic issues that they had to deal with, but our ability to to so accurately pinpoint those branches really came out as a result of uh, understanding the customer. The other point point to be made was the customer themselves had no particular insight in how to solve it. So again, you have to look at data in ways that, uh, with, with, uh, I call it an expanded vocabulary, that just allows you to understand the world better. In this case, the notion of an indicator, that allows you to say, ah, my God, now I've got to dig deeper here because there is an issue.
0: What might happen in my world that I'm gonna say, wow, I need to call Golfdale, bring them in here because something's happening that I don't understand is happening. Interesting you say
1: that. I think what we end up spending a lot of t- our time doing is something, um, I want to credit, uh, I think Harvard uh, came up with the term, but, but um, the notion of being a business translator. Because we understand it, it deeply, the world of data analytics. Um, we understand company positioning, the narratives companies create. Um, but then you get inside and you realize there's some people you need to really respect and understand what they're struggling with, but they might not be able to articulate it well. But you have to trust their instincts and they're deep inside it and like, my God, I'm agitating because I can't quite put my finger on it, but something's here. And so I think when we get the call as often somebody's saying, ah, oh, you know, I got, too much data but i can't make sense of it or i know we gotta you know enter this new world of machine learning and i'm not sure we have enough data so let's let's take a look at what you've got here and help you to translate some of your frustrations into some hypotheses that we can quickly test and then begin translating for your business how they could build a better narrative around what it is you're offering and really where we started our conversation pad is there a gap between uh the promise that marketing is making and the promise that operations is able to fulfill. And inside that gap rests a whole lot of opportunity for us to step in and and to close it, make it more realistic, make it compelling for the market.
0: Well, Gary, on that note, I want to thank you for your insights and your time. Really, really interesting conversation. I loved the distinction between doing less to get better customer service and customer experience results. Really, really neat. So thank you so much for joining us today. Pat,
1: thank you so much for your time today. I love your podcast and I'm delighted and honored
0: to be part of it today. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. All right. I would say that was a really neat conversation. The breadth and scope of insight both Gary and Hyundai bring to their engagements just baffles me. Of course, I'll put contact information for Gulfdale Consulting in the show notes, and I never endorse, as you know. I'm going to say, though, that it's 100% worth giving them a call just to let them look around if you have questions about your data. So, your takeaways from today. I got a ton of questions for you. What does that distinction between service and hospitality mean to you? One's not necessarily better than the other, but one is certainly more appropriate than the other. For example, are you trying to deliver a Ritz-Carlton high touch experience when your customers just want a cup of coffee? What is the extra thing you're doing that you think is great, but your customers mm, kinda don't like it? If you've got a team of associates and they have to say things on every call or every customer encounter, I'm pretty confident that if you ask them, they can provide some good insights into what extra little things are actually driving away your customers. Thing is, you kinda gotta listen to them. And how are you using your data to help you improve your customer experience and if you are, how do you know you're using it correctly? Lots and lots to think about. Until next time, I'm Pat Purdue. Thank you so much for listening.